Do you like scary movies? Said a voice on the phone. Sydney replied, What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act, who is always running up the stairs when she should be running out the front door. It's insulting. Recognize this quotes movie? Stay tuned to find out, or check out the title of this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia! Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends, and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. Additionally, joining us as guests for this week are... My name is Chris. And Iwani. Thanks for joining us. You may remember Chris from prior episodes, including Spaceballs, Halloween, and House. Awani and KJ work together, and Awani is joining us for the first time. Chris and Awani conveniently like movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today we are starting to prepare for the new Scream movie coming out this month by going back to 1996, where it all started. In 1996, USA's Major League Soccer started, NASA launched the Mars Global Surveyor, and mad cow disease was a concern. During all this, the West Craven movie Scream was released in theaters alongside Romeo plus Juliet, The English Patient, and Space Jam. Nick, what is Scream about? I'm really excited to start off season three with a bang, or should I say a slash? Ah, 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 ah. Okay, I just lost all the audience. Gonna try to get you, you back real quick. You say bang too. There's a lot of <laughs> that's true. You should have said stab. That was the name of the the movie on Scream Two. Oh, that's why we invited Chris on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> but now with all this horrible intro, what is it actually about? Apparently, there are murderers on the loose, dressed up in scary, weird ghost mask costumes that are terrorizing this community. They have an affinity for using a knife as the weapon of choice. We're introduced to the lead, Sydney, who is terrorized and her town is terrorized by these hooligans, if you will. And it's really an interesting way of how they go about choosing their victims and the way they terrorize them with a phone call and questions to follow. I really don't want to go too much into the plot here because I think the questions are going to do it. So we're going to jump right into it. Tom, if you only had one word to describe Scream, what would it be? Intertextual. Chris? I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say love letter. <laughs> Very good. It's, it's a love letter to horror movies. I'm going to go with Ruthless. And my word would be stab. See why I couldn't use it before, Chris? I, I knew you had it in you. I'm sorry. I, must, I just jumped in <laughs> there. It's time for question one. Who was the killer in Halloween? Locked in. Locked in. 
locked in. Everyone, tell me together. Michael, Michael Myers. Myers. <laughs> Good. Now to the real question. Oh. Name the killer in Friday the 13th. Locked in. Locked, locked in. in. Okay. Is anyone not confident in their answer? <laughs> Pretty confident. <laughs> okay. Now you yeah. can all tell me again together. Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah. Okay. Everyone's going to get one point there. <laughs> so I pretty much just ripped off a series from the first killing. What door am I at? <laughs> Again, right from the movie, pretty much. I just want to bring that up because when I was watching this film, I completely forgot how gory it actually was. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the gore factor and the approach to how the killings actually happened or anything regarding that. I just, it, it, I've totally forgot that they were pretty much disemboweling people, having guts hanging out of them while they were hanging from trees or goalposts or other things. Me watching it so young, that's one of the things that stuck to me immediately the first time I saw it. Just people, uh, Casey Becker hanging from the tree with her, everything hanging out. But in this rewatch, actually, in the 20 years since with all the other gory movies that have come out, I actually didn't think it was that bad, to tell you the truth. <laughs> it was slightly toned down to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it, it's very different from the the what do you call it uh torture porn films that seem to come out a little bit later right we do we do have the the precursor torture porn in uh god what is it cannibal holocaust and, and things like that which were are you talking about films. like saw like that kind of stuff that type of thing yeah. that comes later this really seems to be much more like the the films you loved as a child chris which is you know the, the friday the 13th the jasons the um the Nightmare on Elm Streets, which aren't particularly overly gory. They just have a lot of blood. And I think, like, I agree with you, Wani, going back and seeing this, there is the the disemboweled Casey and, and Steve, um, but it really isn't that gory. It feels, in terms of the violence, much closer to those, those 80s classics than the kind of the, the more intense stuff that comes later. One of the interesting things about some of the early horror movies is that there was no blood in a lot of them. So take Halloween, for instance. The original Halloween had zero blood in it. There's zero red blood in it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> but then again, once that movie came out, that epitome, epitomized and, and basically birthed the genre of the slasher. And then from that point on, everybody had to one-up each other. There had to be a reason to get butts in the seats at the theater. So it got progressively and progressively and progressively gorier as the 70s rolled into the 80s and beyond. I feel like this movie was almost like a throwback to that, where they weren't being overly gory for gory's sake. Like there wasn't like arterial spurts in some of the scenes, but they definitely wanted to show you that it was like real business, I guess. Uh and they, they, I think they wanted that R rating because horror movies at R was kind of a, for a horror buff, that's a big thing. Because when you see a horror movie at PG-13, a lot of times people get turned off to it. It's not going to be like a, a real scary movie. Uh, so I think that was also something that they thought of at the time. And last thing, knowing that it's Wes Craven, kind of going back to, he was the originator of Freddy, going back to kind of like those kind of roots and trying to make this... Uh, I don't want to I don't want to call it a psychological horror, but it kind of is a little bit like the idea of, of torturing the girls on the phone before they before they do it, especially in that first scene uh, and just kind of making it visceral in that in that in that way, I guess. What a strong start to a movie, though. I mean, it really jumps right into what you're about to experience. 
even at the end where she's, her parents come home and she can't talk and they're coming in the door and she's reaching. I mean, it's really, it, it really impacted me even today. I, I recalled how much I thought that was crazy when I first and, saw it. And it, it was like, arguably the most iconic actress in the movie. If you look at the poster, she's the front, she's the front mm -hmm. and center. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah it was, the, it was a known, known person. It was yeah. definitely, it was, it was, it was choreographed that way. They wanted it to be shocking in the, in the beginning. And they knew that everybody would know who Drew Barrymore was. And the fact that she bites it in the first like 15 minutes of the film was groundbreaking. I would say, I, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's not the first movie to kill the lead that quickly, but I mean, it was, it was certainly something that's memorable. And it's been repeated in all, in all of the, the screams, too. Um, even in the television show where they have the most famous actress killed in the first, uh, what, 10 or 15 minutes of, uh, of the MTV. Of the first version. episode, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. What's her, I can't remember her name now. but she's, uh, Bella, I think it was Bella Thorne. Bella Thorne, thank you. Yeah, I know she's, she's popular amongst the, the younger folk. But yeah. It's time for question two. What? director does Sidney Prescott's best friend Tatum Riley reference in this film? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in? Did KJ join us? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chris, you know that means you got to start us out. Wow, I think I thought I knew this movie pretty well and apparently I don't because I can't remember. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really kick myself in the butt when Tom and uh, Awani tell me the answer to this because I, I don't know it. I'm going to, I'll say uh, John Carpenter. Awani. And she references Wes Craven and John Carpenter. What do you mean? She calls the character, well, can yeah. I say the character name that she said? She calls the character, the director Wes Carpenter. Okay, Tom? I had the exact same thing. Yeah, it's on the porch. It goes, oh, it's like one of those Wes Carpenter. You're getting paranoid. It's like one of those Wes Carpenter movies. <laughs> yes, the, the exact quote is, don't go there, Sid. You're starting to sound like some Wes Carpenter flick. But yes, it is also a reference <laughs> to both Wes Craven and John Carpenter. By the way, for some reason, that porch was in, I, I know this has nothing to do with the movie. It's a giant tangent. That porch was really, really tall. I don't know if you guys noticed that. They look like ants <laughs> under that porch. <laughs> you can't beat a good porch. <laughs> hey, I like fine old architecture. What can I say? But the reason I brought this one up was I wanted to talk about how this film dealt with horror tropes because it's definitely a strong theme throughout this film. We even talked about it a little bit prior in our initial thoughts, first impressions. What did you guys think about how it integrated these concepts or really straight up referenced them in, in many ways? Well, I would say, and, and this is partially inspired by um, this article by uh, Valerie Wee, W-E-E, -E, who, who wrote about this movie. Uh, but the, the kind of intertextual material is sort of the movie. <laughs> the, the movie is itself illusion like kind of pure illusion um i mean there's that one scene where right before uh nev campbell's character sydney and uh, billy loomis go to bed uh together and she says this is real life it's not a movie and he goes of course it's a movie it's all a movie and that's that is the the theme of this thing it is composed of illusions and not in a kind of wink wink sort of way it it isn't sending them up Right, it's not mocking them, um, but it is acknowledging 
the text qua text, right? It's, it's sort of making the the space of the movie itself the content um, in this kind of postmodern way. Last season, we all talked about modernism. Now, <laughs> season three is going to be our postmodern season, um, and it's, it's a good movie to ignite it because that's that's sheer what coincidence. What it is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's what it is, right? It's it is a movie about the the intertextual dialogue that that is going on there's a there's a, a a word that people use these days that i don't remember i don't it might have been around in the 90s i'm not sure but it's meta and it's the idea of it kind of being like a meta movie i feel like that's what this was it was one of the first ones that at least i remember it was it was maybe one of my first movie that kind of poked fun at movies i know Spaceballs did it you know Spaceballs pretty much poking fun at the idea that it's a movie about another movie uh but this one at the same time wasn't really a comedy but was poking fun it wasn't parodying anything it wasn't like like tom says it wasn't making fun of something but it was still directly referencing something else which i thought was which was it was interesting at the time and i still enjoy it today like catching all those little easter eggs and finding all the little inside jokes that they that they talk about until scary movie came along which was pretty much a remake of this film with maybe some other horror film references <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's a great way to put it. Just saying it was a meta movie, like '90s. Yeah, because I mean, when Casey goes down, the first thing she does is like trip over nothing, which is like a trope right there. The white girl running in falls for no reason. So I think just as soon as you watch that, you kind of know what you're getting into in for for this movie. And she also in that scene says in the phone call right before. Um, oh, those movies are insulting. It's uh, some big-breasted bimbo um, going up the stairs when she should be going out the door. And, well, uh, uh, physical features aside, she ends up go, you know, going up the stairs. She kind of copies yeah. that. And to so, her credit, she tried the door first. Okay, to her credit, she did. yeah. <laughs> so what's different about Scary Movie and Spaceballs in this picture is that Scary Movies and Spaceball is um, Scary Movie and Spaceballs are sending up the material to make fun of it, as we said before. This really isn't trying to do that at all, obviously. And it's not, I don't think even trying to do tongue in cheek, though it is uh, populating the, the text of itself with so many illusions that I think the, the illusions themselves become the text. It becomes the film. It is this, this quilt of other horror movies. And then the response or the joy of it is the that kind of metatextual experience that the audience has, right? They, as as horror movie people, presumably, um, and if they're not, they, you know, there's plenty of horror movie people who'll be watching it, are then sort of um, having a very different experience than they would be in in the spaceballs theater, where you're just kind of recognizing the tropes. Here, the tropes aren't isolated to, to mock. The tropes are themselves the content, so to speak. And they become kind of, they, they kind of make the movie a sort of glorious surface as opposed to an enjoyable depth, right? It becomes better surface. It becomes that, it becomes thicker and wider because of this kind of dialogical relationship with the other stuff, with the other material that the audience is kind of participating in and creating. And so it's a really weird experience when you, you have to subtract 
the kind of nudge, nudge, nod, nod, wink, wink out of the filmmaking or, or film watching experience. At the end of round one, Tom and Iwani are tied at two points and Chris is still with us with one. We'll be right back after a brief message from one of our valued sponsors. Have an idea for an ad? Is it a fake product? We'll air it. Send us an audio clip of your fake ad and after it goes through our rigorous and strict reviewing process, we'll fit it into an episode. Don't have an idea for an ad? Make one anyway and send it to fakeads at talkingpicturestrivia.com or call 201-467-8679 and leave a voicemail of your ad. You'd sound really good on radio. This ad requesting fake ads is a real ad requesting you to send us fake ads. Seriously, send us your fake ads. And we're back. We are at the critical point of our episode where we ask the guests a key question. For season three, we've switched it up a little bit, and I'm really excited about this one. This one goes out to both Chris and Iwani. If you could write your own sequel for Scream, what would be the plot? It does not have to be the plot of Scream 2 or any of those following sequels, but just your own based solely on this first film. If your plot matches Scream 5, you automatically win the episode. Well, I guess I have a goal then. <laughs> so my one of my favorite parts of Scream is when Sydney is leaving the police station. Gail Weathers comes around the corner with the, 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 the cameraman and she slugs her. And you know that there's a backstory there that you you get a little bit of the context a little bit later in the movie about you know, like a previous murder and writing a book and all this other stuff. But I always found that to be like a really cool interaction. And I would think I thought it'd be kind of cool. Like, I know at the end of the first movie, they kind of get buddy buddy and they're chummy because they got through this together. Uh, but what if Sydney put the mask on and was going after Gail? That would have been my uh, my 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 scream to perfect thing. Like Ooh. have the have the one have the hunted become the hunter and go after a person that she dislikes because she uh, besmirched her her mother's name. Nice, nice. Iwani, now you're on the hot seat. What do you got? Oh, boy. It's tough to follow. I was thinking something, a movie that would come out years down the line, probably around now. If we go back to a couple years ago with Billy's dad and Sydney's mom, and explore that relationship more and end up with how Sydney's mom died. So we're going prequel. Yes. Oh, I'm thinking prequel. That is interesting. Who knows? That could I be just lost the episode. I didn't look at any of the trailers. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, these I, I like both of these angles, though. I, and, and, and to be honest with you, when the studios run out of ideas, either one is possible. Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, there's any way to link these together. What I would say, I was thinking about this question myself, how I'd answer it. And in my mind, they already did a sequel. For some reason, even though I know what you did last summer has nothing to do with this franchise, it came out the following year. And these movies are tied together in my brain. For some reason, you just take another party of five uh, female lead and you throw in another horror movie. And to me, they're somehow connected. So it, it's tough for me. We actually are going to cover that movie later in this block, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. But I, I don't know why I have those uh movies connected they're, they're actually there's a relationship between them because really? jennifer love hewitt jennifer love hewitt was either dating or married to the guy who plays randy um what's his name jamie uh, kennedy, uh, jamie kennedy. Oh, yeah. there is a connection. They, were, 
there is, yeah, there is a there was a romance going on there. Um, which they got were they married? Does anybody I think they might have just I was gonna dating. say no, but oh, okay, yeah. I was also gonna say, does anybody care? Which is the better question. You care who was dating in the mid-90s? <laughs> yeah. And anybody care who was dating Jamie Kennedy? <laughs> is this do we need to know this? There's actually another link between the two, also. Apparently, uh, the writer for Scream, he also wrote I Know What You Did Last Summer. Now I know why I feel like they're connected. Oh, now that's a, that's I know. a better one. <laughs> Was he dating anyone from both movies? <laughs> oh, Kevin Williamson. Yeah. So and that makes did, sense uh, why I feel he like did yeah, when, when his name popped up on the credits, he that did was Dawson's exactly Creek, what my wife right? shouted out was Dawson's Creek. The theme song went and started rolling in your head. Yeah. yeah. I never even watched that show and I know the theme song. <laughs> it's so, this is really kind of interesting because it's just kind of like, because um, I think Sarah Michelle Geller comes in later, right? Into yes, she's in Scream 2. Screams, Scream 2, right? And so there's this like, like WB, because Sarah Michelle Geller at this time is on, is on Buffy, which is, you know, obviously horror, you know, horror teen stuff. And Kevin Williamson is writing Dawson's Creek, and then you have Party of Five with, you know, I know what you did last summer. There's this like television film blob that's going on here. That's actually really kind of cool. Well, I think they, I think they always try to like aim movies at the teenagers, and and I think that that's what you're seeing. You're seeing like these are yeah. shows popular with teenagers. Let's get the writer that's popular with teenagers. Exactly. Let's get yeah, the teenagers yeah, yeah. Involved. Let's just get teenagers yeah. to spend all their you know all their money to do it and yeah. then they become 30 somethings like us and then they start talking about this movie uh, in a nostalgic reference and they can make a fifth one but it, yeah it's just it's an interesting also kind of like I'm, I'm gonna go back to my word again the kind of intertextual thing because it's not just like what the movie is saying in the movie but it's the people behind the scenes and kind of the marketing and all that is also like drawing this big network to to capture people that's really cool yeah, I was going to say, I'm really glad to hear Awani's yeah. little tidbit there, because now I understand why they had the same yeah, feel they really do, to me, yeah. that they were somehow yeah. connected. The guy wrote both of them. Yeah. <laughs> glad to help out there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's time for question three. Why couldn't Sydney initially be murdered? Locked in. Locked, Locked in. in. Ooh, that's a close one. I'm going to let Awani go first. Because she was a virgin. Chris. Definitely virgin. Tom. I, I have the same thing, virgin. Everyone is going to get the two points on that. Even though this one, I wasn't sure if people would get it or not. I thought this was kind of like really, like, I don't know, disturbing that he was pretty much toying with her, with Sydney all this time in a relationship to check off this box so then she could become the murder target. So I, I wanted to bring this one up, this final girl thing we see in these type of movies. She is the final girl. So what do we think about the portrayal of that in this film? I think it's interesting that she beats the trope. I mean, like, they're definitely saying that, oh, yeah, and all these other slasher horror movies of the 70s and 80s, that if you had sex, you would die. And Jamie Kennedy sit on the couch watching Halloween while she's talking about it and and why Jamie Lee Curtis makes it through all the all the movies. And then this this movie definitely took it on its head and said that that's not true. Like the the that's not something that the the, the final girl has to. There's no virtuous virtual uh, the final girl here that that's not something that needs to be done. And they kind of rewrote that script. They rewrote that trope 
that they kind of wrote it out, I guess, in a way that, that that's not how it actually works. So I thought that was actually really good on their part to kind of like put that to bed as a, as one of those tropes. A little rewrite there. Yeah. Yeah. It comes from um, Carol Clover. She's the person, the scholar who, who coined the term final girl. And what's, uh, what's also interesting about this is yes, they, they put that to bed. They put that to bed in a, in a, pretty direct way, but there's also more than one final girl because Gail Weathers survives and survives and survives and survives and is also in the fifth, fifth movie. Um, and, and so there ends up being- But will she survive? Yeah, well, well, I, <laughs> who, who knows, yeah. Um, who, I don't know if Courtney Cox has anything else going on right now, but uh, that, that also seems to be another feature is that you now have um, this kind of sorority survival type thing. These these two women both survive and um, they're kind of deliberately beating the trope down. And in beating the trope also, there's the irony of you're reestablishing it, right? Or directing attention towards the trope when you, when you discard it. Um, yeah. So I think it was a way for them to kind of like set this picture aside because it would have been really easy in the 90s to say oh this is just another slasher film it's just another slasher film with teenagers who are going to get drunk and have sex and they're going to die and blah 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 this kind of like took it and said listen it is that but at the same time it's not and it's a little different and we're doing things differently we're taking ourselves seriously even though we're referencing all that other material so i thought that was a really smart move on their part to kind of like have a new jumping off point that was referential but also it's a brand new kind of clean slate, especially in from this perspective of the final girl, as well as any of the other things that it kind of rewrote in horror, quote unquote, history. Yeah, I think it's like just uh, the metal stuff that we talked about earlier, how this movie kind of wants to almost update that trope to where you don't necessarily have to be so completely virtuous. You can still survive, you know. I have so, some thoughts on this, but I want to know what you guys think. Do you think this was supposed to be a one-off or set of franchise? Supposed to be a trilogy. Yeah, he originally had uh, Scream 1 written and like ideas for 2 and 3 from the jump. That's interesting. I don't think there was ever a doubt that he wanted to do more. He, I mean, he saw how popular Freddy was and how many movies came off of that. I'm sure he had outlines for the the whole shebang. Yeah, I didn't think they wanted to do four, but I kind of, you know, <laughs> pushed into it. Five in the plan in 2022? <laughs> Arguably, they shouldn't have done four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I I, have no idea. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, and David Arquette and Courtney Cox are divorced now, right? So that should be some fun yes. on-screen chemistry. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're both Scream in the five, the search for more money. Yeah, but I don't think their characters are divorced. So oh. it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> we can, that's what's important. Yeah, the people we care about. Yeah, um, but yeah, I am. I, I'm kind of curious because we keep talking about uh, the the difference between kind of send up an illusion, right? Or, or illusion is something other than mocking or parody um and that that's something that's it's a really really interesting dance that they're they're making to in order to do something new right because you need to do something new at this point with with (laughs) these types of films uh in order to get people you know kind of back in the seats um and that's something i was wondering what you, you guys thought not to not to grab it about of how what the kind of illusions are actually doing to make a new audience. 
Well, I will tell you that ghost scary face thing became iconic mm-hmm. to today. I mean, that really carried forward. They built a brand just with the imagery. And what's really fascinating to me about it, when they're going around killing or trying to kill, they're not like well-oiled machines, like death you know, traps we've seen before, or these just these crazy villains. They're kind of getting beat up a little bit. They're falling in wonky ways. They're taking you know, shots to the gut and elsewhere. <laughs> they're not invincible, but they still get the job done. So it just, I thought that was an interesting portrayal of you know, how this brand was building the, the baddies. <laughs> I think I think it was the put another trope to bed the 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 invincible man or the invincible monster that yes. you could you couldn't kill Freddie you couldn't kill Jason you couldn't kill Michael like these were obviously buffoons uh, and the, yeah they were like flipping over each other or getting or getting you know kneed in the crotch or, or other things like they were definitely like oh this is actually like a real person this is not just some supervillain that you can't kill that you can't get rid of that you can't escape kind of thing so I, it's just another one of those tropes that they were trying to like destroy a little bit. The one thing that they didn't really get rid of, though, is the disappearing act that the villain does. <laughs> like, there were a couple times towards, towards the end of the movie when uh, Sydney is stuck in uh, Dewey's car and she's trying to call the cops. And Stu, I think Stu is the killer at that specific time. He gets into the car with her keys and, you know, tries to stab her. She escapes. But then as soon as she turns around, he's nowhere to be found. Where could he have gone that quickly? Yeah, I, I know what you're saying there. They still kept that. There's still that little bit of fantastical, I guess. Yeah. Like that yeah. they're, they're Because it's not a realistic movie, right? It's not like they're putting the, the horror tropes to bed by having a realistic Billy Loomis kill people, right? <laughs> like, like, like imagine a psychologically damaged person who watches a lot of horror movies and decides to do this, right? That's not what we saw with this movie. We saw like the the movies, the horror movies spawning this movie, not spawning a demented person who attempts to enact them in a way that's captured on screen in, in a realistic manner, right? It's still of the genre that it is made out of. I do totally agree with what Awani was saying about how like there were certain points where he could just kind of disappear out of nowhere. But I do think that it was very interesting that they decided to make it two killers Mm. where you could almost have like in in those old movies where there was one single killer and they would pop up out of nowhere. They would immediately disappear and then they'd be across town like two seconds later. Didn't make a lot of sense in those older ones or like, why is Jason on this side of the lake? But now he's in the in the campground or or the cabin having the two different people made it possible for them to kind of pull the rug out from under us until the end. Well, it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been Billy because he was in Sydney's room or it couldn't have been Stu because he was over here doing this. Uh, and they, they took a supernatural esque moving character in the ghost face and gave it a real world explanation by saying that it wasn't just one person. It was two. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is a little strange how it just pops up. Like how did he know, so I'm, I'm specifically referencing the, the scene where he's in the, the bathroom with Sydney. Mm. The girls are in there. They're talking. Sydney's in one of the stalls listening to them talk poorly about her mother. Sydney comes out of the bathroom. And then all of a sudden, we now know that the ghost face has been in there the whole time. Like, was he literally standing in the bathroom the whole time when other random teenagers were going in? Mm. Like, how did he get in there? Like, that, that, was a, that was always a little sticky point for me, too. But it, I, I, do, I did like the idea of having the two killers. 
Yeah, that seems specifically really. I can't think of an explanation for that one because Sydney walks from her locker talking with Stu to the end of the hallway to talk to Billy. There's only one hallway to the bathroom. <laughs> Billy doesn't follow her in. Stu could not have been in there at the time. That's that's the one thing that I don't have an answer for. And I guess maybe they're trying to tell us that it's not <laughs> one of them because we've already seen the two other kids running down the hallway in the mask. That's what I was, was going to say. It could have been, but that's still like we're, we're it's, grasping at straws. Yeah, it seems like it's one of them, right? <laughs> the filmmaker seems to be telling you this is one of them. This, but this, why this, are they this, in the bathroom anyhow? If, even yeah. if it's not one of them, why are they <laughs> there standing on the toilet yeah. waiting for Sydney? It's strange. Be- but why did they kill the principal? <laughs> exactly. The Fonz did nothing. He was, he's an innocent man. The Fonz needed more screen time. That's what he needed. So yeah, he he always, something. We always need more Henry Winkler in our lives. But... <laughs> I think it's just because it's it's that movie. It's still that movie, right? It's still a slasher horror movie to, you know, kind of shock the teenagers and, and what have you, or entertain the teenagers anyway. So you're still going to have the impossible coming out. You're still going to have body count, right? You need a body count, right? We can, we can talk about, um, as Dewey does, like, well, he's not a serial killer. They haven't killed enough yet. Oh, uh, we, 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 we can hope, you know, they kind of say that, um, which sort of reflects our attitudes. You know, we want a high body count, right? We want these people, these bodies to be stacked up. These aren't like fully developed people who we have empathy for exactly with the exception of, of Sydney. Um, so it's still, it's still participating in the tropes, even as it is kind of flattening them and pushing them to the surface. Not, not to not to belabor the Henry Winkler thing, but although he's a fantastic actor and we should talk about him a lot, I have to I have to put this in there that as a person that's seen this movie 15 to 20 times, I know who the killers are from the jump. Mm-hmm. There's no need to think about that. But Henry Winkler was meant to be for your first viewing. Henry Winkler is meant to be a suspect the way he treats those two kids in the oh. detention like with the was pointing the scissors at them and like ripping the mask with the scissors like i think they're trying to like make you feel as if he could potentially be like he has a motive oh. for hating teenagers because of the way he like talks about it. you have no respect for this that or the other thing or how people feel like and then you have to bring it back around and kind of close that loop it's like oh no it can't be that guy because he's now gone or you know he's I, I, I didn't feel that this last time watching it because I've watched it so many times, but I remember that first viewing as I'm trying to like work the puzzle out in my head. Who could it be? Who could it be? He was meant to be one of those possible suspects early on and yeah. killing him was a way of kind of closing that tie and say, Oh, Nope, it's not him. That makes sense. And the reason I didn't even view that this time was in the back of my head, even from the get go, I'm like, I think there were two people working together and I always had that like I'm and I was like even you know from back in the day I was like so that yeah I just I wasn't thinking that because I knew there was like two characters at play I was biased it's time for question four who supposedly killed Sydney's mother and just to make it interesting one point will be awarded for the character one point will be awarded for the actor. If you get them both, you get both points. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. Uh-oh. I guess this isn't too shocking to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think people must have watched a lot of this movie because these, these questions seem uh seem pretty easy. Okay. 
I don't even know the order there. I think Tom, were you last? I, I sure I could go. Uh, uh, Cotton leaves Schreiber. Okay, Awani. Uh, Cotton Weary, I think, is his last name, and mm-hmm. leaves Schreiber. Chris. Indeed, Cotton Weary and leaves Schreiber. So I thought it was so odd that. Liev Schreiber is just like in one scene, it's a non-speaking scene and that's all we see of him in the whole movie. (laughs) So it was just kind of funny to me, but the real reason for this one is, and again, we did talk about it a little bit in the last one, but I wanted to highlight the villains of this film. And we don't have to go back into anything we've already talked about, but really their portrayal, their motivations and how they act. So anything new in that sphere. So the um the the killers yes yeah, Stu is and it? is it Billy and Stu and yeah. Billy Billy yeah. Billy Loomis yeah I yeah I I mean the uh with Skeech Ulrich is that his name um yeah. he's a little rough to watch this <laughs> uh, he's got this uh he's he's clearly cast because there is a certain resemblance to Johnny Depp. And so there's a reference there to to uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, right? There oh, I didn't like even think about that. Similarity. I, I I I mean I don't know that officially, but I think that's why he's he's in this film. But he's a very physically awkward guy. He's like a pretzel. He's always kind of curled. He up was a hunched bit. a lot. You're right. He's hunched a lot, and he does the thing I find insufferable, where he's looking, where his face is down, but he's looking up. Like apparently people thought this was sexy, but. I don't know how turned on you guys are when I do it, but our apparently audience that was is loving this, Tom. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, apparently that was considered sexy at one point. Um, Matthew Illiard is is a lot of fun in this. I think, um, I, you know, his sort of kind of a boyish over the topness. Um, uh, like watching, like him and Rose McGowan in terms of performances are. Uh, are like the people I ended up paying attention to the most because Nev Campbell is is. She's fine. She's somewhat bland. It's also bland is a good word for it. I would say, yeah, yeah. It's also a somewhat bland character. Um, she's not. Uh, she is very different from the Jamie Lee Curtis character, but you know, whatever. But I, I um, Jamie Lee Curtis character from Halloween. They are very different female leads, but um, I think uh, the the kind of perform watching Skeech Ulrich try and get through this is a, is it's a little rough Matthew, Matthew Illard and I also like the fact that Matthew Illard has no or his character has no motive he's just uh, he just says it's peer pressure he did have a motive on the first one though right wasn't that wasn't Drew Barrymore's character his ex-girlfriend she left him for she was his ex-girlfriend yeah yeah so there was a um, connection there there, there was. Uh, yeah, but yes, know. it is funny when he says peer pressure. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, it wasn't even the first person they killed, right? Together, so. Well, that was the peer pressure only... from uh, Billy. Yeah. Breaking up yeah, the family so when when uh, Sydney's mom was sleeping around with uh, Billy's exactly. dad. Yeah, that, that, that motive makes Iwani's uh, possible movie even that much more enticing because mm-hmm. I want to know, were Sydney and Billy dating while the affair was happening between Billy's father and Sydney's mother, or did yeah. that, re- or did that relationship start after dad or what was it? It was Billy's mom left and then eventually becomes yeah, the killer in number two. Uh, yes. So Billy's mom leaves. Is that when Billy starts dating Sydney? Like, cause now he's going to hatch this master plan or yeah. were they dating before 
and like this was all happening at the same time while they were already dating and he was going kind of mentally crazy you know this entire year almost i believe they make reference to the fact that they were dating for two years and after one year she was less affectionate <laughs> i believe the mom died. yeah but that's a long yeah, time to enact this plan of your next victim so that means that that means that he was planning to kill Sydney's mom and frame another dude while he was still dating Sydney. That's what it sounds like. Yes. Well, according to Scream Three, which if you've done your homework, you would you would know the plot. Of Scream. It, the Scream Three, they re- reveal that um, he decides to date Bill, Billy Loomis. Decides to date her after he sees a video of. Uh, his dad with with Sydney's mom. So apparently that happens before. So that's how he decides uh, to get closer to the family by dating her. Yeah, but yeah, in order to enact this thing. But you know what? That's Scream Three. I don't. I but you don't told me it was originally going to be a trilogy. So <laughs> yeah, canon. that was that was it was originally intended. Yeah, I guess it's canon. Yeah, yeah, which is this whole thing with uh, Sydney's brother, who's a character you have to meet. Yeah, I don't know. I, and it's also, there's something interesting. We kind of talked about Ghostface as, as an icon um, and how these people, these killers are also very unimpressive people. <laughs> Billy and, and, uh, and what's his name, Randy? No, Randy's the movie nerd. Uh, Stu. Stu. Stu, thank you. Stu. Um, but what, what lasts is the outline of a threat, right? Which is always how these things work. Freddy's maybe an exception, but if you think of Michael Myers, what makes him interesting is he's the out, he has the outline of a person. He isn't seemingly a person. And that's uh, also true with Friday the 13th with Jason, who's sort of disappears into the mask. It's all about the mask, right? It's all about the, the presentation. Um, and even with can- something like Candyman, where it's, you know, all kind of about the big jacket and the hook. Uh, and that, the, this movie gets that right as well is that it's it's about the surface element um and that these people are are really in a movie right they're they're in a movie we're not peering into real life we are seeing a, a movie unfold i'm going to jump into a bonus round here because we don't have a clear winner everyone can mm. participate in bonus round even though tom and awani are tied at six points and chris has five the bonus question is worth three points. So again, it is oh. anyone's game here. It's time for a bonus question. Made some reference to this early on. Unfortunately, we didn't kill this question. What is the film's kill count? Locked in. Oh, locked in. Locked in. Closest oh, 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 without but, going over. But I do have to say, locked in. However, does it have to happen within the runtime? Yes. Okay. Locked in. Otherwise, it's not part of the usual kill counts. And we're counting all the deaths in kill the movie. Counts. Is that right? Human deaths. Okay. I had to bring up that because okay. there was a movie where I think animals may have uh, perished. So <laughs> I'm not saying this is one of them, but yes. <laughs> I'm going to say seven. Seven was, seven was my number. Seven. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Bonus question two. It mm. was seven. We're con- Ooh, can I name it in, in order for more points? Oh. I can't. You know what? <laughs> I, I, I can't give you for can, more points, but what I can do 
No, I can't actually. If you want to do it, just shout it out. It would be fun to yeah, go for yeah. it. Yeah. All right. There's Steve, Casey, Principal Hembry, uh, Tatum, Kenny, then Stuart, then Billy. You and who's number strong. eight? Who's the person? Who's the wait, wait, other wait, person wait. killed? Oh, well, I oh. guess I can't ask that because you already know the answer. <laughs> I know the answer. <laughs> Do you want me to answer it? Sure, go for it. I was going to say Maureen Prescott. Yep. Yeah, but she was she was not killed during, during yeah. the actual mm. film. Another bonus question. This one is worth four points. Ooh. It's time for a bonus question. Who correctly identifies both killers? Locked in. Oh, locked in. Locked in? Iwani, you're starting us up. Oh, man, I have no clue on this one. <laughs> um, Throw something out there. I'm going to guess Gail. <laughs> okay. Okay, Chris? I'm going to say Randy. Tom? I also had Randy in the movie store and oh! then in front of the house. Oh! <laughs> Tom is actually going to take down the episode, though. It is Randy Meeks, played by Jamie Kennedy. He correctly identifies Stu and Billy as the killers. He accuses Stu at the beginning when all the kids are at school talking about Casey and, Steve mur- uh, Casey and Steve's murder. And then he accuses Billy in the scene at the video store. So he correctly identified both killers. Mm. So congratulations to Tom. Well done, Tom. Well done. Thank you. Good job, sir. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Triple <laughs> bonus. Yeah, we, we all know this movie pretty well. <laughs> I was going to say, you're pretty adept at screen knowledge. I, I believe some of you had a few questions of your own that you wanted to Oh, yeah, to yeah. What, what, what did you have there? All right, so they, we, we know of the killer as Ghostface. Mm-hmm. Who, what character in the Scream franchise actually says the word Ghostface when describing the killer? Locked in. Oh, locked in. Locked in. Could be wrong. I'm just going to say, I'm going to lock in. I'll, I'll go first. Sydney. Tatum. Yes, it was Rose McGowan. Yeah, it was Rose McGowan. She was in the garage getting the beers. Oh, the garage. And she's yeah. at the locked door. Which <laughs> Come back to this locked door for a second. She's at the locked door. She turns around. She sees him, and she calls him Ghostface. Now, when, mm-hmm. once Tatum dies and the garage door closes, guess what happens? The garage door <laughs> opens up again. So, like, the garage door was open the whole time for the Ghostface, but not for Rose McGowan because that would have ruined the plot. <laughs> once i saw her got in the garage i had a vivid memory of what was coming next <laughs> i'm like oh she's gonna have a bad day <laughs> i have a feeling that engine isn't that strong yeah it's, it's... i've never had a garage door opener <laughs> but i i suspect they have somewhat less horsepower required <laughs> to sever a spine Yes, I always thought that scene was a little bit wonky, too. Like, the, the door wouldn't open for her, but it would open for the killer. But doesn't he stop it? Isn't that? Yeah, he did stop the I door. He... The, the door in, to the house wouldn't yeah, I'm open. Talking, I'm talking about the garage door. Yeah, I'm talking about the door to the house. Oh, 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 oh I'm okay. sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She goes up to it. It jiggles that it won't open. So she decides to try to go out through the garage door. And then that's mm-hmm. when the ghost face kind of closes the door on her. And you mm-hmm. turn around, or she turns around, and you she sees him for the first time, and mm-hmm. blah 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 blah, get caught in the mm-hmm. doggy door, etc. 
I do have I do have one more not to not to kind of ruin it. Sure, sure, go ahead. That's okay. And this is this is a little bit this is meta inside the meta. Uh Sydney during the movie is talking about how they're going to make a made for TV movie of this whole situation. Oh, locked in. Who does she say will play her in the in the in the movie? Locked in. I get it. And she's right. And yeah, and she's right, because it happens in the second mm-hmm. locked in. I remember the reference of it. I remember this happening. Yeah. It ain't Meg Ryan. A... <laughs> I'll lock in. I'm just going to say Sarah Michelle Gellar. Tori Spelling. Yeah, yeah Tori, Tori Spelling. Yeah, and funny, yeah. funny enough, yeah. in the beginning of Scream that 2, they showed the movie Stab, and lo and behold, Tori Spelling is playing Nev Campbell's character. You got to love stuff like that, though. I mean, you got to love There it. was an interview with, with her, with Tori Spelling, that she had no inside knowledge about Scream 1, about her name drop in Scream 1, but then when it did happen and Scream 2 was greenlit and they started casting for it, they called her up and she said, of course I want to be in this. This is fantastic. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> nice. That's great. Yeah. It's time for Movie Rent! Is this movie meta? Or isn't it? And what do we, I, what do we mean by that, if it is? I think it 100% is because it's self-referential. It, it itself is a horror movie. And it references horror movies that have happened. So we can think of it as the horror movies that we know came out in the 80s and 70s came out in the quote unquote universe that this movie exists in. So like Mm -hmm. these characters are living in a universe where those movies occurred. And Mm -hmm. so we would have to assume that we are in that universe, even though we are watching a movie. So it's kind of like this, this Mobius strip twisting on itself, which Mm -hmm. is why I kind of think that it's meta. It's talking about, other stuff that's in the real world and i would say that it's not parody based on what you said because it's not really making fun of those things it's just referencing them uh it's it's almost like if abed from the show community were a horror movie it would be screen (laughs) that is is a fantastic reference by the way (laughs) on a related note to how we have to feel like it was in our universe many people did because i was reading that the use of caller ID like increased more than three times before, uh, its usage after this film came out because mm-hmm. people wanted to know who was calling them. Mm-hmm. Kind of crazy when you think about it. I like, my, my wife actually picked up this when we watched it. She was like, they, they keep calling cell phones the cellular. Like, give me the cellular. I need the cellular. Like, it, because it was it, why do you have technology. a cellular? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do you have a Why cellular? do you have a mobile phone? Phone, yeah, son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, that, they, so the sheriff, and this is another one of those like Henry Winkler moments. They actually try to hint to you that the sheriff is one of the people that could possibly do it when they show you his boots. Because usually you get that scene where he's outside talking to Dewey about how the ghost face mask can be found anywhere. And they specifically elevator pan down to his boots. So and I, you saw yeah. those boots just two scenes ago when it's in the bathroom and it steps off of the, the toilet bowl. Oh, so it's just yeah. another one of those like red herrings that they tried to plan in there. It's like, oh, could it have been this person that had a little motive? And mm-hmm. and like, why is he getting away with it? Well, the, the sheriff could have gotten away with it. He could have done. He could have uh, cooked the evidence, if you will. So it's just another one of those like red herring moments. Going back to the principal before I was joking, why did he have to die? They noticed that there was like. 30 pages of script where nobody died. So they're like, okay, <laughs> principal's got to go, which kind of makes sense because it really was didn't fit the loose thread of plot <laughs> of why the murders, or I should say why the victims were selected. He was kind of random. Whereas mm-hmm. the other ones we could loosely tie 
to either Stu or Billy's motivations. Of course, taking into account peer pressure. Now they they close the school before the principal dies, correct? Yeah, they correct. so that couldn't they that couldn't have been a motive like kill the principal, close the school, have the party. But but they that mm-hmm. happened out of order. Like the school closed. They they were at the party. Then they when they find out about him dead. That's right. That's right. Because right, yeah. that's that's why they he was leave. on the goalpost. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was just trying to find motive when it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. That's the only one. But the other ones, they have some like loose reference. And even then at the end where Billy's explaining, isn't it like pretty much crazy that there is no motive? And he's like, oh, wait, I'll give you a motive. <laughs> your your mother ruined my family. But it almost seemed like, like inserted, not just for the audience, but even in the context of that universe. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding yeah. this out until the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is, it, when something like you're saying, Chris, about the, the, the Mobius strip that wraps in on itself, um, when I, I think it's instead of wrapping in on itself, I, I see this as all surface, right? Like th- this difference between like um, something that we think of as as modern uh, and something like this, which is, comes along later, which is one is deep, one is a lot of surface. And um, uh, one way you establish surface is you look towards the conventions and you just point a big finger at the conventions and hold them up and make them as fun and enjoyable as possible. Not to mock, but just to, just to make them as, as entertaining as, as you can. Um, and I think that's, you know, you kill the principal because we haven't killed somebody in 30 pages. Why is there a motive? Uh, we'll just stick one in here, but it clearly fails kind of stuck in. Um, I still think the movie, like the motto of the movie is, uh, of course it's a movie. We're in a movie. <laughs> is Billy Loomis, who's named after um, Donald Pleasant's character in in uh, 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 Halloween, who's named after what's-his-name's character in Psycho, is telling us, hey, we're just in a movie. <laughs> it's just a movie. I think it's a, just a way of creating a an enjoyable surface. There's one thing that we didn't bring up when it comes to being iconic about this film, and that's the voice modifiers on the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is something that definitely screams the movie screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got one more outside thing to point out. So uh, Kevin Williamson, he was inspired by uh, Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper. He was a, a spree killer in the early 90s. Yeah. So... The, so mm-hmm. I'm, I like true crime, so I'm yeah. always into this. Stuff Apparently, like a lot of so, people do now. It's very popular. Gainesville oh, killer? Guy. I have never heard of Yeah, he, he killed people. At, uh, what schools in Gainesville? It's not Florida State. What is that? Uh, I think University Florida of Florida. Universe, yeah. 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 He, he killed like four people, four or five people there over one weekend. Mm-hmm. So, oh. yeah. Mm-hmm. And Kevin saw that in the in the news or whatever, and he got inspired to write Scream off of that. Do you guys know the original name that Scream was going to be? Oh, no, what was it? I don't think it would have worked for this. I think it worked better as what the Wayans Brothers did, Scary Movie. Oh, was it? (laughs) Yeah. They do use that verbiage in the film. Like, they reference the term Scary Movie a lot. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Was the, the Wayans Brothers make Scary Movie? Yep. Yeah, they did the first two. The first two, and then it, yeah. it kept it kept happening. Fell off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Is what's this they're, they're iconic in their own way too, though, with the parodies of like the modern era too, because then they started doing all the they the blank all. movie. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just scary movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Did the Wayne's Brothers do all of the that product? Just the first two, I think. Just the first two no, scary movies. They didn't and do then, like oh, the uh, teenage like epic movie. movie. Yeah, yeah. No, they they didn't do any of that. I'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week, which is Tom, who took it down in double bonus questions. Congratulations, Tom! But all of you really hey. knew a lot about Scream. I did not know <laughs> Tom did the wealth of knowledge you Tom had. Tom didn't miss a question today. He was on fire. He was he was the yeah. first one to lock in for every question. I think, and he just got every single one. There wasn't a single one he got wrong. Flawless victory. Flawless victory. Great week. (laughs) Starting the season off strong, Tom. Who knew Tom like superficial horror movies? I mean, really. (laughs) (laughs) It was the post-modernity that really drew. It really was. (laughs) So the the theme of this season is going to be post-modernity. The secret theme of this season is driving Nick crazy by using the term (laughs) post-modernity. So if everybody can get on board with that, I'd really appreciate it. (laughs) On another note. You can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We're extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. Do you think Drew Barrymore deserves to be on the poster for this movie? Why or why not? Let us know on Twitter, TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201-467-8679. Thanks again, Chris and Awani, for joining us today for this riveting conversation. It's always a good time. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Had fun. Hope to do this again. We hope you both will join us, even if Tom was victorious in his flawless (laughs) win. I just can't wait to come back for another postmodern episode. Yeah. (laughs) Well, sometimes last season we did a lot about modernity. So now we moved to post. Yeah, we've moved past the modern. So if I'm sorry you missed it, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Just listen to almost any episode picked by Tom or KJ. Mm -hmm. It was like KJ's. All of his were on like the topic of like the coming of modernity. It's like every every movie he picked. I don't think he even noticed. It was just... No, no, no. I know he didn't notice. (laughs) And you can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15 and also check out our sister podcast, Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side. I can also be found on Twitter at TheNicknamed. Join us next time when we continue to prepare for the new Scream movie and discuss Tom's recommendation from 1922, Nosferatu. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. Next week, we'll be discussing Nosferatu. Tom, how was your first watch? I'm not entirely sure when my first watch was. It might actually have been this week. Part of the reason I said that is this movie is so popular that it sort of, you see it everywhere. Um, it's become its own meme over and over again. You see it in commercials, on television, referenced in other things. I'm pretty confident that I have seen it from beginning to end before, uh, but I'm sure I've seen scenes from it or even images from it more frequently than I've seen the actual picture from beginning to end. I have read Dracula more than once, the the source material. And I've also worked on a a project about the legal cases surrounding the making of this film and Florence Stoker's lawsuit against against Prana Films, which is the the film company, or Prana Film, the film company that made this. And so I have actually a lot invested 
in this movie over the years, uh, just from trying to like research 1920s German intellectual property law, uh, which is actually a fascinating story, which not only involves um, Florence Stoker and these kind of German expressionists, but this kind of illegal smuggling of the film out of Germany, thanks to people like H.G. Uh, Wells and George Bernard Shaw. So I've spent a lot of time with this movie in, in many different ways. Um, so I guess my, so I, I have a similar thing with Tom. I, although I have seen the movie, I know I've seen the movie before. Um, I first saw the movie in 2011. And I remember I was watching, it actually was in like the winter of 2011 because I was living in London at the time. Um, and I got this movie on like, uh, like I, I downloaded it on like Apple from the Apple store. So that was my first time actually ever watching this movie. And up to that point, I'd seen silent films before I'd had to watch them for um, some classes, but I'd never really liked them. Um, and I, I watched this movie and that's sort of part of the reason why I, I kind of started watching more silent films was because of this movie. But I've probably, so that was the first time I've actually seen this movie and I've seen it a number of times um, since then. But I, I definitely, I've read the book. Um, first time I read the book was in 2007. So I've read the book and then I've seen sort of references to this material uh and to the to the book um for many many years i remember the first time i actually ever saw a reference to it was in uh that old there's an old computer game uninvited um and they make a reference to nosferatu in that movie so that was actually the first time i'd ever even heard of it and then i remember i like googled it and i was kind of looking up like exactly what the movie was and then um so that's that's sort of my first overall experience with this movie I remember seeing clips of it, like in uh, montages with other monsters like Dracula and Frankenstein. And I, I specifically remember this, this vampire because he looks quite different from the other 30s, well, the 30s classic films. And I even remember asking my mom, like, oh, who is that one? And I, she either didn't know or tried to explain what a silent film was. Um, but this was the second silent film I had, had seen. Uh, the first one, I'd, I'd gotten Ben-Hur from the library on Blu-ray the Charlton Heston one. And on the Blu-ray was also a, a silent film that was Ben-Hur. Um, and I remember trying to watch that and that was a tough watch, but I'm like, oh, maybe I'll try another one. So I tried Nosferatu. This was, I don't know, a few years ago. Um, but this time I kind of just watched it on my laptop. Um, I was surprised how much, how many title cards and narration cards there were, but I'm sure we'll get into that in the, in the, uh, in the episode. Um, but yeah, just a straightforward watch. This is similar to a lot of other people who already talked about this film, but I felt like I had already witnessed this movie, even though I hadn't, because they reference it so in so many places. That specific portrayal of a Dracula creature is very unique, like KJ was just saying. And I, I don't know why it's been so, I don't know why it took me so long to finally watch this film. And I, I enjoyed it. And specifically that scene you always see where he like, rises from the ground <laughs> it's it's really cool uh, that's the part i just remember seeing that clip over and over in, in various different sources and now i can actually see it in context 